Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Bantering the Blue Shirts. Uh, this time, I'm leading things off, and as always, I'm joined by Tom Urch Jr., my co-host and buddy. Tom, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing really well, and I'm excited because this week we have Melissa Burgess of Die by the Blade, our SB Nation sibling site, I like to call it, because, you know, why get into a weird you know, gender thing with brother or sister site, just say sibling site. Uh, Die by the Blade covers, of course, uh, the, the Buffalo Sabres. And Melissa also writes for the Victory Press. And I've interacted with her over half a, half a decade now, Melissa, I think. Because <laughs> uh, that's when I've been covering women's hockey. Um, and she also writes over at the Victory Press, which is a really unique site that you can support through Patreon. They do stuff that just doesn't exist elsewhere is a good way to put what the Victory Press does. So if you value independent coverage of women's sports, uh, go to the Victory Press and support it. But Melissa, thanks for joining us. And how are you doing tonight? Thanks for having me. Um, so actually, Mike, I don't know if you know this, but today is actually my birthday. So I'm doing Whoa! Great. Happy <laughs> birthday! Thank you. Anytime I get to talk hockey on my birthday is great because, you know, obviously I can't be at a game today. So um, this is the next best thing. Yeah, I know our listeners are getting tired of me saying this, but we're in the middle of November and I'm still not used to there not being hockey. Like, I know it's weird for everyone, but my entire, like, yearly schedule, like, my body clock, everything is just ruined. I keep waking up thinking, like, what's, everything feels amiss other than the fact that, you know, the country's falling apart. Uh, but yeah, um, it's, uh, it's, I didn't know it was your birthday. That's so funny. I've been, I have been off social media all day, so I didn't see that little alert on Twitter next to your name with the balloons. But thank you for spending your birthday night with us. Uh, hopefully Ryan won't be too mad at us, but yeah. Um, so I guess let's start with how did you get your start covering hockey? Yeah, so um, before I dive into that, I just want to add a couple things to the intro that you Yes. So eloquently put together, because I do obviously uh, cover the Sabres, but I also do the Victory Press stuff. But I also um, am part of the Canisius College men's ice hockey team. Um, I wrote features for them last season. Uh, this season, I'm not exactly sure what my role is going to be just yet, um, because things are kind of, you know, changing every day. And yeah. Um, we're supposed to start the season later this month, but of course, with the way things have been going in New York, I don't really know what's going to happen. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> um, and I also work with the Buffalo Junior Sabres organization, uh, doing a lot of social media and some game presentation stuff and a little bit of everything there. So I am kind of all over the place and normally a at hockey. a hockey rink. Yeah, yeah uh, I'm usually at a hockey rink a, a lot. Um so it's weird to not be there um, right now. Uh, but how I got started covering hockey. Uh, so I've been a hockey fan since I was probably five years old. Um, my mom really got me into hockey. She was always big into it, uh, still is, of course. And she was really the, the determining factor that brought both myself and my sister into hockey when we were young. Um, you know, over the years, I just really enjoyed watching the Sabres. And um, as I got older, I kind of started to like the journalism side of things, like just getting into journalism. So it just made sense that, well, I love writing and I love hockey. So, of course, why wouldn't I find a way to combine those things? 
Um, so I actually first started writing about hockey. I want to say it was like 2009 or 2010, probably. Um, so I was like 19 at the time. Um, I wrote for a site online and I also was part of my college newspapers sports section um, where we did a little bit of Sabres coverage as well as, of course, the college um, sports. So that really was where I got started. And then, you know, I've kind of done the online stuff. I've done the print stuff a little bit, um, but most of what I've done has been online uh, for various sites. Uh, I started with Die by the Blade a few years ago. Uh, they've been great. I I love writing about hockey. You know, I love I love hockey. I love writing. So, you know, finding ways to combine those two things are, are just great. Yeah, that's kind of what happened to me. I was someone who I grew up loving hockey and I was like into creative writing. I was into poetry and I couldn't stop writing about things. I loved reading. And then one day it kind of dawned on me when I was trying to figure out what to do after school. I was like, I can combine these things. I don't know why that hadn't occurred to me. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of how I've gotten to where I am today. But it's funny how that path is kind of similar to what you went through. So as you said, you've been writing over at Die by the Blade for a while now. And of course, the big crazy news for the Buffalo Sabres is that, you know, Taylor Hall is a Buffalo Sabre. And that's that's something. Also, uh, Eric Stahl is a Buffalo Sabre. But I know Rangers fans don't like that word. That's like saying Voldemort. But um, what were your thoughts when you heard that uh, Taylor Hall was coming to Buffalo? Yeah, it was just unbelievable. Like, so obviously, like anybody, I was following the Taylor Hall saga on Twitter and everything. It was like, okay, well, where is he going to go? And then I saw, you know, like a suggestion that he might be considering Buffalo. And I was like, yeah, right. No way. Come on. Like, let's be realistic. There's no way that that's going to happen. And then it was like the next day and I was scrolling through my phone on Twitter and it said, I think it was, I don't know if it was Darren Drager from TSN or something like that said it and I was like wait what I was like oh my god Taylor Hall is a Buffalo Saber what is this real I had to like triple check to make sure you know it was really Darren Drager's Twitter account and not a fake and I was like no this is real oh my god like it was just it was so shocking because you know you know what kind of caliber player he is and not to say that we don't have good players in Buffalo and, and things like that and that we can't have a player of that caliber, but just it was so unexpected, but in the best way possible. Yeah, it was, it's when that was developing and, you know, it seemed like the Sabres were part of the conversation, like, you know, there had been all the talk about, oh, you know, how you know, the fixed cap had kind of eliminated the middle class and there were some guys because the cap was going to be fixed that guys like Taylor Hall who might say, you know what, I'll sign the one-year deal that's really lucrative. And then you wonder, you know, where where guys could fit. And Buffalo is just not on my list just because of all the all the cuts they had made, uh, the Pagula ownership group, like all the, all the things they had done leading up to that point. But then again, we've also heard from, you know, Kim and Terry Pagula that they kind of spare no expense in terms of trying to make the team a competitor. And this was a, you know, this was... I mean, there's no other way to put it. It was a franchise-changing signing, even though it's just for the one year. But, you know, it's kind of a we'll wait and see. But Taylor Hall could have gone to a lot of places, and he chose Buffalo. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you kind of said it right there. We had heard talks about, like, there being an internal cap 
and everything. So it was like, okay, we're not going to expect any big flashy signings. And then all of a sudden, here's this huge flashy flashy signing, you know, arguably one of the biggest free agent signings of the year. Um, But I think it's great. I like the one year. Um, Obviously, I would love to see him here longer term, but I understand why for both him and for the team, a one-year deal is good because in addition to obviously not knowing how he's going to fit with the team and everything, um, there's just a general uncertainty of the world right now and the financial state of things. And, you know, we don't know what money and economics is going to look like in a year. So obviously having that one-year deal and that flexibility to, you know, change things in a year is, is a good idea. So the addition of Hall certainly makes the the Sabres a much more interesting team, adds a little more firepower. Um, This being a Rangers podcast, we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up, um, you know, the rumor I think it was a couple of weeks ago um, involving Jack Eichel. Um, As someone who's closely follows the team, you know, lives in the area and obviously hears things from local sources, not just, you know, big talking heads who are always trying to move player X into Y market. Um, Did you really ever buy those rumors that Eichel was someone that was getting frustrated and looking to move on or it's just, you know, par for the course when it comes to any star player that's getting frustrated with his team? Yeah, I I think it's more just par for the course. Obviously, we know that Eichel has been frustrated with how the Sabres have been doing. He's, you know, not afraid to express, like, he's disappointed that we lost a game and and all that. But, and I think whenever you have a player, especially a big name player speaking out like that and expressing their frustration, there's bound to be someone on the internet who says, hey, he wants out. But I don't think I ever really bought into it. I mean, I think that... Over the past few years, he's really shown his dedication to Buffalo, um, you know, the hockey market, as well as just the community in general. And do I think he's going to be here for the rest of his career? I don't know, obviously, because if a Wayne Gretzky can get moved, then obviously a Jack Eichel can't get moved. But I don't think I ever really bought that he was actively trying to get out this season. So... So while Taylor Hall was obviously a big move that the the organization made, um, you know, Mike jokingly brought up the uh, the Eric Stahl trade. Um, oh, I, I mean, I for one thought that was an interesting move because another player that the uh, the Sabers had brought in uh, going back, um, who had a little bit of a rough year last year, was Jeff Skinner. Um, Jeff Skinner played with Stahl in, in Carolina. The two were really close friends. Um, do you think the move for Stahl was, is sort of like a situation where they're adding to sort of strengthen out the team? Or, or do you think that's something that was considered as well? The fact that they have a guy in Jeff Skinner who they really like, you know, they gave him the big contract and just trying to get him back on track. I think it's a little bit of both, but I also think you have to remember that Kevin Adams is now the GM of the Sabres, and he also is very familiar with Eric Stahl from his time in Carolina. Um, So I think, you know, I think anytime you can get a player like Eric Stahl on your team, that's fantastic just in and of itself. Um, And then to have him come back and play with Jeff Skinner, who 
has been fantastic, no doubt about it, but who can obviously come step up to that next level. Um, you know, I think that's a move you absolutely make because you want your best players to be your best players, but you also want your best players to always be better, right? Like they can always step up to that next level. Um, so I think that bringing him in is a great move. And it's another one of those, like, if you would have told me five years ago that Eric Stahl would be with the Buffalo Sabres, I would have laughed and said, no way, there's no way that would ever happen. And it's the same thing with Taylor Hall. I would have said, there's no way. And now all of a sudden <laughs> they're both on the Sabres. Yeah. The, the Sabres kind of have a similar thing with the Rangers that I think Eric Stahl helps address because Johansson, Marcus Johansson, who went the other way in that trade, was one of those guys where it feels like, you know, he can play center, but he's maybe not best at center. And, you know, Buffalo and the Rangers both have, like, the the bona fide first-line center that's, like, it's no debate who the best center on the team is. But with Buffalo, adding Eric Stahl gives you that, like, he's a known commodity, right? And we all know how important center depth is. And the, the idea of having two lines that have a strong center to work with and put wingers around is something that should, you know, even... You know, it's it's quite a goofy thing to say this, but like you take Taylor Hall out of the equation, the Eric Stahl trade alone made Buffalo a better team, right? Especially the top six, just what with what he can bring versus what Johansson brought to the team. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I said, it's just even adding one of those pieces instantly changes the entire team, and let alone adding both is it, just another level itself. So there's one other thing, just because we were talking these roster moves for Buffalo, and I was wondering what your general thoughts were on terms of, well, let's start here, actually. Jimmy Vesey is a Toronto Maple Leaf, but last season he was with Buffalo. Um, and he became a Leaf through, you know, as, a, as an unrestricted free agent. Do you feel like, you know, Buffalo is kind of losing anything in Jimmy Vesey? Because he had, as, as I'm sure you know, a, you know, spent a good amount of time with the Rangers, and before that, he was this highly uh, touted guy uh, in terms of a college free agent that didn't sign with his draft team, and you know everyone was kind of you know hoping to be the team that signed him, and he ended up uh, in New York and seemed like a twenty goal guy, and then he had a pretty pretty rough year in Buffalo. Do you feel like that was just maybe something that didn't click, or is is it just like oh, there's no use crying over spilled milk? You're not losing much with Jimmy VC moving on. You know, I think. A lot of it is how he was used in Buffalo because, of course, you know, if you, depending on how, who he gets to play with and things like that, you're going to have more success. Um, honestly, I wasn't surprised that we didn't re-sign VC this year. Um, I think it just made sense, hmm. especially with adding Hall and Stahl. And, oh, God, that rhymed. Um, <laughs> I think that there just, you know, there just wasn't going to be a place for him on the roster next season. So, um, I think it makes sense that he left. Um, I also always kind of still felt weird about it because, you know, back of all those years ago in 2016, the Sabres actually acquired VC's rights from Nashville, you know, to give us that extra yeah, few right. weeks of, right. of negotiation with him. And, and then in the end, he decided to become a free agent anyway, which, you know, I mean, you can't blame the kid for wanting to explore all of his options. Um, and then, of course, he eventually signed with the Rangers. Um, so it was always a little weird to me that, like, we we got him in the end, even though he, he 
wanted to hit free agency in the beginning when we maybe had those few weeks of negotiation time with him. Um, but, you know, I think I appreciate what he did last season, but it's not a big loss for the Sabres. Um, and go figure that he would end up in Toronto, just like Zach Bogosian. Like, of course, all the former Sabres head north of the border. Yeah, it's not a long drive, right? Yeah. So before we hop off of Buffalo, I was wondering just two more things, you know, like I said, like, you know, even with without Taylor Hall, but, you know, they did get Taylor Hall, a guy who was won the Hart Trophy in very recent history. Um, how much better is Buffalo? Because that division that you guys are in, I mean, that's one of the reasons why both of our teams are in New York State, but there's zero rivalry between the Sabres and the Rangers, despite what uh, NBC might want you to think sometimes. And uh, <laughs> it's one of those things where this team just, it had two huge additions. You know, it didn't lose anyone in a big way. And, you know, I know there's some questions about goaltending, but Linus Olmark's numbers were pretty good. I mean, is is Buffalo a lot closer to being a playoff team or are they even a playoff team now? Did they do enough? It's kind of hard to say at this point, obviously, because we don't even know when and if we're going to have a hockey season. But do you feel like this team is substantially better to the point of getting back on the right track here? I do. Um, and I actually think, you know, because I think I'm assuming at this point that the NHL season will be shortened. Um, so I think that that could really benefit the Sabres in, in this situation because, you know, this the way to make the playoffs will be so different with a shorter season. Um, everything is a little tighter. But I think that these two additions, provided that they really make that splash quickly, um, could be the difference. I don't think, you know, I don't think instantly the Sabres jump to like a, a cup contender necessarily, but anybody can be a cup contender, of course. All you need to do is, you know, win a couple games here and there. Um, but for me, the one question which you mentioned is is the goaltending. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, you have Allmark, but you also have Carter Hutton, who was very spotty last season, um, and you don't really know what to expect this season. And one thing that I'll bring up, just because it came up on Twitter yesterday um, when the Sabres uh, retro, reverse retro jersey came out, was Ryan Miller, who, of course, Sabres fans absolutely adore quoted a tweet with a, an old photo of him and Danny Breer in the original red and black jerseys that the reverse retros are modeled after and said, like, I approve. And of course, everyone's like, come back. And <laughs> um, I would 100% be on board for that. I think that was actually something I said. He could. I think he still has a year, maybe even two years out of him. Um, and it was actually something I said in my like early roster predictions for next season for Die by the Blade, I said, sign Ryan Miller for a year, give him one year. He's a veteran, you know, let him finish off his career where it started. He would love it. He loves Buffalo. Sabres fans love him. Like it works on all ends. So let's, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. I was just typing to you in our, in our, podcast chat like i know we said i was said we were going to hop off the sabers but i gotta know what your take is on buffalo's reverse retro because some of them are pretty rough but i think buffalo actually came away pretty good i was quietly i was hoping to see the slug come back but um oh god yeah i know i'm one of those horrible people that enjoyed the slug but in kind of an ironic horrible way but i kind (laughs) of like buffaloes it's it wasn't i think a lot of teams had the trouble of being way too safe like the Islanders in Detroit are just 
you know, it's just like bland. Like a lot of them almost look like practice jerseys, but I think Buffalo's was among the upper tier in terms of the design and how it came off. Do you feel good about that reverse retro design? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people here were hoping for the goat head. Um, so they <laughs> yes. were just, they would, yeah. Um, so they were disappointed in a sense that it's the cross swords instead. Uh, yeah. But we do have the goat head in blue and gold on the shoulder, which is which is great. But everybody really wanted that goat head back. Um, to me, I, I think it's a great jersey. Um, I think, I can't remember what I ranked it in my, I actually ranked all the reverse retro jerseys. I think I ranked it like eighth or something like that. Because there's a lot of like white to me. It's just very bright visually. So it's kind of hard to look at almost. Um, and... I, I never I don't love the like the word mark buffalo across the hips. Um, yeah, like I yeah. would like I personally would never wear that jersey because it would just do really unflattering things for me. Um, but I like that it's you know a nod to the past, but it's also bringing in the blue and gold color scheme that is the current and really the future now. Um, so I don't think it's you know one of the best in the league. But it's definitely not one of the worst because, like yeah. you said, like there's some like the Islanders where it's just like, what did they do? I don't know. What yeah, they what, did. <laughs> what what did you even do? How is this any what different than any jersey that you've worn the past few seasons? I don't know. Yeah, some teams went way too wacky. Some teams went. I think most teams went way too safe. But I think Buffalo is on the right side of that like that middle line, like kind of like that A minus B plus territory. And I'd put the Rangers. Um, in the same territory, but Tom and I will will get into that later. But yeah, it's I don't know. It's I know I'm a horrible person for wanting the slug back a little bit, but I think I have the liberty of saying that as someone who wouldn't have to see it all the time. Um, but you know, we have you on the show, so I would be remiss not to dive into some women's hockey stuff with you, Melissa. Um, Absolutely, something that was such huge news, and you know, as is typical, uh, you and I both know this when. You know, there's a big story. It seems to get talked about for two or three days and then mainstream media stops talking about it. But I don't think people have given enough attention to how huge Secret's investment in the PW, PWHPA. By the way, I will never get through that as long as I live. I've, <laughs> I've been trying to do it for over a year now and it still just does not roll off the tongue for me. But can we like? Can you try to add some context to what that one million dollar partnership and investment means to women's hockey? Yeah, I mean, so that's the secrets commitment is the largest corporate commitment that has ever been made for professional women's hockey in North America, and I think you know if you're an NHL fan or a men's hockey fan who's listening to this podcast, a million dollars doesn't seem like a lot because. You know, you've got guys out here getting $3 million, $4 million, $5 million contracts for a single player in the NHL. So $1 million in the context of an entire association may not seem like a lot. But this is a huge deal for women's hockey because it's never been done before. And for the PWHPA, you know, players aren't paid or have not been paid for their participation um, they've had, you know, sponsorships and things for merchant for for their equipment and things that's been paid for, um, things that have taken care of their travel. But you know, the, obviously, the goal is to get that money into players' hands. Um, and Secret's commitment 
not only in general, but even more so in the face of the pandemic and, you know, the economic, really economic crisis that COVID has created is just even more impressive and even more important. Yeah, it's and the other thing that, you know, as you and I both know very well, we see a lot of, you know, like last year with, with the PW, with Budweiser, and we see support happens all the time in the NWHL. I know from covering the league and last year when I was working with the league briefly, like we see these partnerships, but we don't know the figures behind it. Like we don't know how much of it is just like, oh, you know, this equipment company is giving them a couple of skate sharpeners or, right. um, you know, this this restaurant is, you know, is a partner and players are getting a bunch of, you know, like uh gift cards for food and free or like catering is taken care of but for a business to say this is a million dollar investment in the sport and in the sport's future is just not something we're used to seeing right it just it's unheard of and like you said for followers of the nhl and men's hockey million dollars might not sound like a lot but when the whole point of the pw is to get us to the state of women making a living wage to play the game that are the best players in the world it's a huge deal, right? To have the that actual figure is something that I'm hoping is turns into a rallying call for other businesses to really step up. Yeah, I think the transparency is really important in women's hockey overall, but it is just like you said, being transparent about those numbers puts it into perspective and hopefully will bring more sponsorships, more partnerships, more advertising dollars, things like that. Um, I also think that I love the the fact that it's the secret brand, which is really designed for women. Yeah, you know, so yeah. I mean, as much as you love like a Budweiser, which is obviously a, a beer, a sports, you know, there's that instant sports kind of connection there. This is a brand that is really about women and for women. So to bring that into women's hockey, obviously it just makes sense, but it's really nice to see those kinds of things tied together. Yeah, it's such a perfect fit. And like in every way you look at it. Um, and the other thing I really wanted to hope to talk to you about, because we've seen some people murmuring about this, but I'm one of the people who's become more and more skeptical uh, about whether or not we'll see this. You know, I it's kind of the point now where, like we said, with uh, the NHL season, like you, like you had alluded to, you're probably going to have a shortened season. And, you know, who I think training camps. What is it, Tom? January now? I can't keep track of any of this. Yeah, they're hoping to have a start of January 1st, um, although that seems to be like a moving target. Yeah, we'll see. Um, But (laughs) that also, it raises the question of the NWHL uh, and their scheduled season. And of course, the PW's games were, in many ways, I think the PW will have an easier path to trying to organize its schedule just because of flexibility. Um, And, you know, they can you know, their kind of barnstorming format, I think, lends itself better to doing things safely and spacing things out. Whereas, like, I don't know how a bubble would be even an option for the NWHL, because like, if you're talking about a bubble, but we're talking about women who by default have to have another means of employment. So like, you know, there's been the talk about like a, uh, like a quasi bubble in the NHL with like restructuring for like, Oh, a division or a conference temporarily for Canada. But I don't see how that's going to work in the NWHL. And there's also the question of, you know, the Toronto six are the new team in the league, which would be fun. I'm sure for you with the instant rivalry with Buffalo, but there's the issue of the border 
and all these other issues that come up and there's no guarantee we have a pro women's hockey season in North America is there no and I think honestly as as the days go by I'm less and less optimistic about it and just because yeah. There are so many different factors, you know, so like, let's just talk about the NWHL first, because to me, they are the more complicated um, one. Obviously, you love to see Toronto join the league, but now the border and how do they get across the border? Are they even allowed to come across the border and play or have vice versa? Are, are the rest of the NWHL teams allowed across the border to go play? I don't I don't think so, honestly. Yeah. Um, I think. It's kind of like it's not the same, so I don't want anyone think, listening to this to think that I'm equating this because I'm not. But like the junior team that I work with had to take the season. We we literally took the season off because of the continued border closure because we are the only American team in that league, and we would not be allowed to cross the border to play hockey. Um, so I don't want to say like it's the same as a junior team. I'm not trying to say that, but I'm saying in the sense of it's not these players main jobs they have other jobs and you know there's it's like a laws. logistical thing though yeah yeah and like there's rules with going across the border for work and what's considered work if it's not your main job and all, all that there's so much you know there's so many levels to it but yeah it's just a huge knot to untie, if you if you can't go across the border you know what do you do you say hey well we're gonna have a season but toronto's not gonna play this season that obviously that stinks if you had this whole big announcement and you put this team together and then all of a sudden they can't play like that's not ideal um you know one option that i know some people have brought up and i will shout out my husband as one of the people who's brought this up would be maybe having toronto come to buffalo and play their games in buffalo like as a home you know as like a kind of like how the blue jays played uh their season at buffalo yeah yeah there's um, potential there. The other one that, like, because yeah. you can do, we all know, and you and I know all too well, the, the bus travel and how much of a hardship that is on teams. Yeah. But it's just part of the reality of the league. But with air travel in Minnesota, like you said, because I was wondering the same thing as you, like, let's, okay, it would suck, but let's say no Toronto this year. We just postponed right. it a year. But then you have Minnesota. And, right. like, how the hell does that work? So... In my head is like, do you just do the, like the founding four franchises for a year? Because that also sucks. Like, is it better to do that, or is it better to just say, ah, let's just call the whole thing off? And it's so, it's so disappointing. But I'm sure it's also complicated. Like, uh, today we just heard the Riveters had a big uh, team-specific sponsorship, and like because we don't, we're not privy to all those details. Like, I don't know if that partnership would like benefit from oh we'll be delayed until next season or if it's just off the table and what that means for you know a league that really can't afford to lose things like ticket sales because let's be honest like every penny of income the nwhl brings in is essential right right yeah so um just to clarify in case anyone's listening to this nwhl teams don't travel privately like an nhl team so if teams are flying to minnesota or the Minnesota team is flying out to, you know, any of the other teams. They're traveling via regular airplanes with everybody else. So, you know, there's a lot more exposure there. There's, you know, the 
some places have quarantine requirements after travel like that. So it's, there's so many different factors at play. Um, and then of course there's, like you said, ticket sales. If you can't have fans in the stands in some or all markets, that's a huge loss, not just for the revenue, but also just for the players. Like when I was yeah. talking to, I was talking to NWHL players over the last month or so roughly for my latest piece for victory press. And I said, what is it going to be like for you guys if you can't have fans in the stands? Like how are, you know, you have to make up that energy somehow because, you know, like Minnesota, they, they sell out, they have great crowds, they have fans who wave flags and pump people up and they're not going to have that all of a sudden. It's going to be, you know, yeah, there will be music playing, but you won't have that energy. Um, so it will be very different for players, but also of course there's the revenue factor where, you're not having ticket sales, you're losing out on merch sales and you're switching to really focusing on the digital aspect and the digital connection via Twitch, via Twitter, which instantaneously becomes so much more important. Um, and when I was yeah. talking to, I actually talked to Kate Whitman Annis, who's the Riveters GM, um, and she really stressed that. And she said that there's a lot of fun things that could be explored with Twitch and those digital channels that maybe you wouldn't have time for normally, but now if, if that part of it becomes even more important, there's so many more ways that you can engage with fans. And that's true, but it like it would still just suck to not have a season, to not have, be able to have fans go to games and see games in person. If you, you have the potential to reach more people digitally, but then you also have the potential to lose people who really just want that in-game, in-person experience. Yeah, there's also the factor of like having all of your eggs in one basket. If it's all like, if you're going to put everything on Twitch, and I think Twitch was a big success last year um, for the way. Right. Like, you know, and having, getting to see a little bit of how it got put together behind the scenes, I could see like, oh, wow, like this was great just for generally women's hockey. Because growing up, I don't know if you had the same experience, but I grew up in New Jersey so women's college hockey, the closest place for me was Princeton, Division One, and that just was too far away. So I only got to really see women's hockey when the Olympics came around and, you know, when we got to see a world's game every now and then. But for the most part, that wasn't really on, you know, U.S. networks. So this idea of like, oh, yeah, you know, if everything is riding on Twitch, I believe, you know, there are a lot of creative people working for the NWHL, but I also worry because we've heard over and over again how dependent the NA, like the NHL is on ticket revenue. So how much more dependent would the the NW be on ticket revenue? Like, what does it mean for the league to have that go away for a year? And, uh, you yeah. know, it's hard to believe. Like you, my, my optimism is waning, but I don't think it's outside the question. But then again, we see people not wearing masks and... Uh, this problem just keeps getting worse because no one takes this seriously and that's why we are where we are as a country. But um, without getting yeah, into think, all that... I think, no, it no, also gets, I think it also gets tough because, you know, you've got the different states. So what happens if, you know, maybe Minnesota is okay, but New York is not, and then all of a sudden, yeah, yeah. can the Buttes play? Or the Buttes aren't approved to play, then then what happens? What do you do? So I don't know, I think there's so many questions, but I do think, like you said earlier, the PWHPA has more flexibility 
Um, so I could see maybe them still playing, even though they, they have the same kind of limitations in terms of players have other jobs. Players can't, you know, afford to be quarantining for two weeks before a game or anything. But, you know, maybe you see the PWHPA, they have three uh, Canadian hubs. Maybe you see just those Canadian hubs play each other a couple times. Yeah. And then you just see the two American hubs play each other. And, and yeah, there's still the travel, but maybe, you know, depending on when things happen, the quarantine requirements aren't like they are in some places. Like in New York, um, you had you previously had to quarantine, you know, you were supposed to quarantine for two weeks or something like that. Now it's you don't have to quarantine for two weeks. You have to quarantine for three days. But there's some testing requirements both before and after you arrive, um, which is you know, much more doable for mm. the women's hockey situation. So I hope that we see at least some kind of women's hockey this year. I hope that God, whatever hope so. it is, people <laughs> will watch it and support it. And I will be right on top of it when it comes. So yeah. I'm ready. I, I'm with you. I feel like the PW just has less moving pieces because yeah. it just makes it, I just think they, they would have an easier job adapting, I think, if that makes yep. if it to kind of summarize that because there's a lot of like in my head I just pictured this big knot you have to untie for making women's hockey work with the pandemic and the knot for the NWHL is just bigger and yeah more complicated um but I want want to guess we'll wrap up we don't want to keep you forever especially on your birthday goodness grief <laughs> but um Melissa let people know where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work and all that good stuff yeah, so um, I'm on Twitter. My username there is underscore Melissa Burgess, uh, M-E-L-I-S-S-A-B-U-R-G-E-S-S. You can find my writing at the Victory Press, um, victorypress.org. You can support us via Patreon, but you can also just make a one-time donation. Um, we're an ad-free independent completely independent sports coverage only people we answer to are our readers uh so please support us uh you can also find my writing on die by the blade the sb nation sabers site uh i'm also like i said working with the canisius college men's hockey team uh ncaa division one hockey um in atlantic hockey supposed to start their season in about 10 days so fingers crossed and i'm also with the buffalo junior sabers organization um, across all their social media channels. So I'm kind of a little bit of everywhere. Um, but I love talking hockey and uh, I love the internet. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> yeah, so be sure to give Melissa a follow and follow her work. I, I, My brain breaks down all the time just from covering the NHL and specifically the Rangers and women's hockey. So I have no idea how you go even further than that. I, Hearing how much hockey stuff you do i feel like i need to take a nap um but again follow melissa on twitter follow her work and thanks again for joining us hope you and yours stay safe um on that note we're going to take a quick ad break to pay some bills and then we will be right back
And just like that, we're back from the break. Uh, thanks again to Melissa joining the show. Um, really good insight on not only the Buffalo Sabers, um, some you know tough topics as from the perspective as a Ranger. You know, talking about Eric Stahl and uh, you know Jack Eichel. You know, rumors maybe not being as uh, you know as true as we'd like, um, and also. Some great women's hockey talk, and Mike, a very, very good job doing some interviewing skills. Uh, you it's almost like I do it for a living sometimes. Yeah, like funny that, like people just sort of see you, you know. But you, you're doing all these conversations in the background for um, what's that site again that uh, I'm making you plug intentionally? Oh, it's EliteProspects.com. No, it's uh, HerHockeyCounts.com. Yes, and if you didn't see it, I retweeted it today um a nice little interesting preview of a lot of data that mike's been working hard to collect and compile and cross-referencing names and spellings and some are very similar because uh oh yeah that's so fun the phonetic russian spellings you sometimes see on the elite prospect site and how they differ from the spellings you see on like the IIHF site, which you know we see a lot with Russian players in the NHL. For example, the, the alternate spellings of Igor Shosturkin and Artemi Panarin both come to mind. Um, and even sometimes, you know, like someone like Jesper Fast. Remember, like he was F A S T H. Like it comes up. But what's fun is when you try and like collate all that data and you put it all together, and there's these little alternate spellings, and like you have. Russian names like Ekaterina, which is the Russian form of Catherine. And, you know, sometimes it's spelled with an E and sometimes it's spelled with a Y at the beginning. And names like Oksana, it's either O-X or O-K-S. And the whole time you're just, my head's in my hand being like, who allows this in this in this world? Why? This is just utter chaos. But yeah, I put, I put together a lot of work last night and I tweeted out that I had gotten to the stage I had gotten at and, uh, I need to sleep more. That's all I'll say. But it's been good. It's been keeping me busy. Speaking of sleep, um, the NHL released. Speaking of sleep. Well, no, here, no, here. It, I'm gonna tie this together. I'm I, gonna. I already have a feeling. I know where you're going. So there's a lot of jerseys that were released yesterday. Um, well, yeah. two days ago. That by the time that you're listening to this, that you really shouldn't sleep on. See, there oh, we go. Oh, Tom. I thought you were gonna say some of the designs were boring and therefore induce one to sleep. You know, that's another direction I could have went in, but that certainly is true. Um, we were going to get into it uh, before I we started recording this, so I'll, I'll actually let you uh, uh, take the, the driver's seat again. Yeah, it's it's fun because I know you wrote the story for Banter. Uh, we were all kind of keeping our fingers crossed for the Liberty jersey, um, those of us who like it, and then what we got was kind of... I don't know. I don't like the, the the silver around the numbers. I don't like the sleeves. I like the colors, but it's fine. But it's funny, like, I'm kind of like, you know, like a B, B plus, or as members of the banter community would all immediately say a B minus on the jersey in general. But, like, I, I was a little underwhelmed, but I'm glad it wasn't as crazy as some of the other designs because I feel like the Rangers have to kind of paint within the lines in terms of staying with designs that aren't too wacky. Like the original, you know, the original Liberty jersey was the wackiest the Rangers jersey has ever really been, other than, like, maybe you could say the Stadium Series was a little wackier, right? But um, there were some designs, Tom, that were uh, abominations, I'll say. And uh, there were Strong, some designs. Strong, but fair. 
That's a strong word, I know. And there are some designs that were really fun and different and nice and should be celebrated. There, like a lot of teams went fun and goofy, like Anaheim, super goofy. I fucking love it. Um, like my favorite is Colorado by a mile. I think Colorado's is fucking dope. But then there are teams like Detroit and the Islanders who just didn't didn't seem to try. Like you could say the same of Tampa. It's like. What are you doing? <laughs> what's what's different? The Tampa jersey just looks like their original jersey from the '90s, and I don't know what's different about the Islanders jersey. Just I look at it and I'm like, is it that the orange reaches all the way to the the cuff of the sleeve? Um, I don't know. But overall, I think it's fun. Obviously, you know, we can be skeptical and just be like, oh, this is just you know they want to rake in money, do what they do, but. Uh, I, I enjoyed your uh, your tier list that you tweeted out because someone put together that thing to to slap together the a tier list and uh, yeah I don't know there's there's a plenty of there's plenty of hits but good god are there some bad misses like what the hell is the Minnesota design I know they're supposed to be like North Stars but just bring back the North Stars logo because doing the wild logo with that yellow is just awful so. I pulled it up, which would probably be something smart for me to do uh, to, to reference the thing that I did. Um, so, yeah, like, my my whole philosophy in looking at this was, well, two factors. One, mm-hmm. which teams did not play it safe in the sense of they did they go back to jerseys that were once considered kind of controversial and goofy um, yeah because i give points be... for not playing it safe i want to make that clear like the teams that went full wacky like arizona i give points for that it's good and wacky what you're doing like what the ducks did like i said good and wacky is good but bad and wacky i'll still give you points but at least you were trying Oh yeah, like Arizona was one of my favorites. I will probably buy one of those jersey. Um, I like Calgary's because that's just a jersey that a lot of people like to goof on. Um, and I, I know, just is think... that supposed to be a horse, right? Because of... it's blasty. <laughs> I know it's blasty, but is it what sort of animal? I think it's supposed to be a horse because of the saddle dome and all that shit and cowboys and Alberta. I mean, it doesn't look anything like a horse, though. <laughs> you know what well, I yeah. wanted to see, dude? I wanted to see the uh, the the Dallas Stars uh, Muterus. Yeah, the Muterus, the uterus-shaped bull. I was so <laughs> disappointed that didn't come back. And I was joking with Melissa that I wanted the uh, the saber slug back because, God, I couldn't help but like that because that's the Dominic Hashigara sabers, the slug. Come on. It's so great and terrible, but oh my god! I, but you and a couple other people really like that that flames one, right? Well, yeah, because I think when I see that jersey, I think of my childhood playing like a lot of the EA video games when Calgary was really good. Um, I'm thinking like when they were just fresh off the the cup loss to Tampa Bay, and you had Jerome McGinley and you had Mika Kiprusoff. Um, it was just like, it was like a classic look and it was, it was different, um, because NHL teams, 
you know, no surprise, they like to be boring. So when you see them mm. have a look like that, or St. Louis's, um, I would have liked if, you know, like the St. Louis one is really cool um, for me. Um, it would have been awesome if they ended up going with uh, the horns jersey that Mike Keenan famously said, yeah, if you oh, wear that, yeah. I'm going to quit. Um, That's right. That one that was never supposed to see the light of day because everyone right. hated it, and it's like part of hockey lore. It's like that old, awful Kings jersey that had that mm-hmm. weird gradient stripe. Um, the Kings also knocked it out of the park, but I think they the had, Burger King. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, that's right. It was the Burger King for the Kings jersey. I also like the Blues jersey. Um, I wanted to wanted to say this. I know you were saying stuff, but before I forget. I never thought I'd like a blue Montreal Canadiens jersey, but I like this one. Yeah, it's different, and they've worn. Uh, I'm trying to. I don't remember off the top of my head, but I know that I want to say it was around some type of celebration of the team's history. Might have been uh, the centennial where they had some form of a blue jersey. Um, but yeah. I, when I when I first saw the, like the teasers um, when they were just doing the the colors and the years, I'm like, oh, is this going to be like some kind of weird Rangers jersey? And then um, Aesthetics put up the okay, this is the the swatch corresponds with with this team. Um, but yeah, like like you said with the Lady Liberty, my I think it's just missing something. And yeah, anyone I agree. who yeah, and anyone who follows Bob Kawa on Twitter or if you've seen my retweets, like, they were almost there, and, like, these little subtle tweaks would make it bomb. Although, in fairness, this was before they showed a mock-up with the rest of the uniform. They did that um, with Mika, which, now having seen that, I'm I'm liking it uh, more than I initially did. Yeah, it's funny when you see, like, the full preview how your opinion changes like once you see the pants and the socks and the gloves but like the other thing is the real way to judge these all will be like what the hell they look like on the ice right um because oftentimes you look at it and you're like eh and then sometimes oh no it's nice but i think a lot of these kind of bold colors like like there are a couple of like the bruins jersey i think is gonna look god awful um on the ice and the jets jersey i think is among the worst i see you rated it really low but I want to talk to you, Tom, about how high you rated that Ottawa jersey. You're just wrong. You don't like it? I don't. I like the logo, but that's that was happening anyway. I just don't... It's it's the same problem as all the other ones. Just got two black stripes on, on the goddamn sleeves. It's boring. I mean, uh, mine more... For me, it was... And I, the Penguins jersey. You're dead wrong about that, too. Sorry, keep going. Well... Yeah, I mean, I would have liked the Robo Penguin, but I think that's... Yeah, Robo Penguin. I think that's another good one. Um, but with the Ottawa one, I, I for me, it's them going back to that logo, that color scheme. I think it really pops where it's if you just had a black or white, it would be too similar to their redesign. So Yeah, what they have now, yeah. Yeah. That's a fair point, but I don't know. To put it in your A tier, Tom, and that Penguins, goodness gracious. I like it. I mean, I'm weird. People obviously already know that. Um, but, yeah, I, I I thought it was fine. And then, you know, there are some where there were some opportunities, like the Canucks one. 
they have so many options at their disposal. They have over the so years. many ways they can go, the Canucks. And I know they were trying to bring back the gradient from like when they like when I was growing up. The Canucks were like my second team because I loved Marcus Nosland mm-hmm. and like the the prime years of like Brendan Morrison. Marcus Nozlin and Todd Bertuzzi before Todd Bertuzzi revealed himself to be a belligerent psychopathic bear that tried to kill somebody on the ice. But, um, like, the the maroon into the dark blue gradient that they had was, like, it kind of worked. And this, with the green, just does not work. And like you said, they had so many options to go, like, so many different, like, they should have just brought back the classic, like, the, even the 94 era Canucks or the even crazier, like the old V design, like all that would have been more fun than this. I don't know, like they're just alluding to their old design while doing something different, but I don't know, I just don't think it works. Yeah, I agree. I also don't like Nashville's with the full white on the sleeves. I mean, I'm not going to go through every single one, but yeah, it's um like everyone knew Carolina was going to do... Uh, the Whalers, like you, I like that the Devils went back to Christmas. I think that was the right move. And like you, I also like the Panthers. But I think a lot of people were sleeping on that one. I thought the Panthers jersey looked sharp. Oh, yeah. I, I think the Panthers, like that look, um, the logo is a lot better than the sort of crest that they have yeah, now. Yeah, the, their crest doesn't really, like the shieldy crest thing. It doesn't, mm-hmm. I love the old shitty panther breaking a hockey stick for no reason that's jumping is like the scott mellenby era panthers it was so fun but yeah the i still think the best to me is colorado's is just so awesome with the florida lee like that's how you do it like you do the and you know the nordiques logo you use the team's colors but you attach it to the origins of the franchise that's great like melissa said for buffalo Having the only beef I have with the Buffalo jersey is the same thing she has, which is the the Buffalo written across, uh, you know, the the main mm-hmm. stripe on the bottom of the jersey. And, you know, like a lot of the other ones, like the Capitals is what it is, Oilers is what it is. A lot of teams played it pretty safe. I think the award for the most boring is obviously the Islanders, which I'm sure some people will think is biased, but it's just fucking boring. <laughs> At least yeah. it's not that New York's Knicks, Knicks jersey they did, which was, oh my god, that was an ugly, awful jersey. Yeah, and then you have teams like uh, Chicago, who they don't even want to show the front of the jersey for some reason. Is it because they might be going away from their logo because it's problematic? No, I mean, I think they were just, you know, they were trying to play coy and like think no one was going to notice that in a, th- a thread of all these jerseys hell they, we really want to show like the font and the the number and all the work that went into that i mean it yeah. couldn't possibly be anything else no no of course not they also it's funny because chicago is going to need to sell a lot of these jerseys after telling everyone they're going to do the rebuild it'll be yeah exactly yeah it'll be interesting times in chicago for sure but yeah i feel like we could do like an entire goddamn breakdown of all the jerseys, but I, it's fun. Like you, I, Arizona, like I've wanted a Kachina jersey, the Coyotes forever, but given the couple of things that have happened with Arizona lately, I can't bring myself to buy an Arizona Coyotes jersey. And it makes me sad, but, because honestly, this jersey's awesome. Yeah, that that's true. It's something that I had overlooked that, maybe not give them money at this point maybe wait a little bit 
Yeah, but god damn, it's fun. Um, so yeah, so like Mike said, we could probably do a whole lot on all these jerseys. Um, before we get to uh, reading the, the names of our, our lovely uh, Patreon supporters, um, story that went up on the banner today, um, broke the other day, just, you know, not major news, but Hank gave an interview, um, you know, uh, with Swedish newspaper, um, I think it's Johan Rylander, um, he's done a lot of you know, a lot of these, you know, one-on-one, like, type exclusive interviews with, um, Hank over the years, um, and the latest one dropped, um, yeah, it was with, let me know, Johan Rylander of Gotisborg's Posten, um, and basically the main part of the interview from a Rangers perspective is that, he has this agreement in place with the Rangers, um, you know, saying that he's always going to be a part of the Rangers organization for life, you know, one way or another. Um, basically, that where they they left off is that um, when his playing career is over, um, he will return to the organization. And he had said he doesn't know if it'll be a small role or something greater. Ultimately, it comes down to timing. But, it, yes, it will be the role they want it to be. So, obviously, I think we all kind of expected this. Um, we, frankly, thought that everything about his buyout and him joining the Capitals in a chance to win a Stanley Cup was something that the Rangers were on board with. But I guess, you know, for some fans who were um, a little put out of shape for how things ended, I, I would say that this is sort of a tying up of, of a loose end, no? Yeah, this makes me feel better, right? I mean, because especially because, you know, like the Zuccarello story that came out with how how shitty the Rangers were handling it and how they're treating someone who meant so much to not just the team and the fans and the community, the city, for God's sakes, like um, thinking about everything Henrik Lundqvist has given New York. Um, but this makes me feel a little better. He's going to come home. He's just taking some time off, Tom. Like, you know, he's going he's going away, but he'll be back. Like, we didn't have a similar kind of guarantee of any kind, like after the Leech trade or, you know, like after Adam mm-hmm. Graves was traded to San Jose for Michael Samuelson, I think it was, way back forever ago. But um, it feels pretty good, and I'm glad that that's the case because it kind of suggests that maybe... Like it was a mutual understanding that JD and uh, and Jeff Gordon didn't made sure Hank knew like this is just business. It's only business. We wish it wasn't this way, but you're a ranger. You'll always be a ranger, even when you're in Washington. You're a ranger, and when you're ready to hang up the skates, you can put on a tie, look fabulous, and work for us. So um, that's just all very comforting news, I think. In light of, like you said, the potential, like, people who felt a little shitty about how that separation happened and having to buy out Henrik Lundqvist. Like, a lot of times this is just business and it's just like a necessity, right? Like, you don't have a lot of options, especially when you paint yourself into a corner or especially when you're in the middle of a huge transition or when you sign players to contracts that age poorly. And that's not, that wasn't, in my opinion, the case with Henrik Lundqvist. He got paid what he deserved and earned but just the way the timing lined up and Igor lined up and the other contracts on the books and 
the Shattenkirk buyout, yada, yada, yada. We ended up where we ended up. And it's nice to know that he'll be back home as a part of the organization again. It still feels, I don't know, like I, I wrote a story for tomorrow for the site that'll be up today uh, when you're listening to this about who the Rangers' next captain might be. You know, and I pointed to the fact that, you know, this is the new, the Lundquist era is over. And, you know, I mentioned, you know, Jesper Faust is in Carolina and and Mark Stahl is in uh, in Detroit. And I, I was looking back to see, it was actually interesting, Tom, it's, it's a random aside, but the Rangers have had a defenseman as either their captain or alternate captain. There's only like two years in the last three or four decades where it didn't happen. And that's when it was Yager and then uh, Straka and Shanahan were the captains. But every other year, a defenseman has been one of the captains or alternate captains all the way back to when alternate captains were not a thing, like the Phil Esposito era. Um, anyway, that was a complete aside. But yeah, I'm glad this is the case. I'm glad that it seems to be water under the bridge and things are amicable because it would really suck if uh, Hank felt really kind of scorned by by this business decision and he didn't want to maybe come back and be a part of like the Rangers alumni group and all those things but I I wasn't worried it was that bad I'm just kind of relieved to hear that he'll still be around because you know one day I would imagine if he wants to be I'm not saying this is what he will do but I would imagine Henrik Lundqvist would make a pretty good goaltending coach if not a scout if not a bunch of other things for a guy who was as intense and dedicated to learning about the game and knows as much as he does about what he does. Yeah, I think pretty decent. Pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Isn't that a fun fact about the uh, D? Yeah, I I never thought of like looking at it, and when I, I looked at the most recent uh, captains, I noticed that they're on a, a string of Americans. Uh, Chris Drury, Ryan Callahan... Ryan McDonough. Yeah, and then you go back before McDonough, it was Yogs. Before Yogs, it was Messier, then Leach, then Messier, then Kelly Kissio, and that's as, that's as much as my brain can do right now. But mm-hmm. it is a recent string of Americans, and of course, uh, as we know, it's kind of a two-horse race for who the next captain will be, but we can save that for another show. <laughs> where I'm ready to yell at Tom and have a, a full-blown debate. Oh yeah, we will definitely have to plan to do that. Um, and that's like one of the many ideas what we want to try things differently. Um, and as we've said, you know, for the last few weeks, if you have ideas, uh, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, you know, send us a message through through banter. Um, if you are a Patreon subscriber, you can message us there. Um, we're very thankful for our listeners, and extra special thank you to our Patreon subscribers. Uh, Six foot gap. Adam Nahoek, Ian Gaspar, Amriel Kistner, Andrew Chicagoff, Andy White, Anthony Viola, Beezer, Ben Pierney, Bjarne Osterheim, Bob Kawa, Bobby Callahan, Captain America, Chris Abibi, Chris Lucas, Chris Marco Trigiano, Clark Carroll, Daniel Dezen, David L. Singer, Fancy Lawrence, Frank Menino, George Lippmann, Igor Zavlosky, Jamie Bussold, Jason Silverman, Jeff Owen, Jermaine Francis, John Predzapelski, John Reppy, Jordan Sassone, Justin Wallace, Keith Franchillo, Kevin Mead, Kush Tastic, Kyle Napolitano, Matt Bader, Matt Pumple, Matthias Olson, Michael Kanick, Michael Marcus, Michael Silvers, Nikolai Hoffman, Panarin 2020, Patrick Landolt, 
Perennial Powerhouse, Sammy Vogel Seidenberg, Sean, Stieg Bialbeck, Stink Fleeman, Tall Guy Rob, The Tin Man, Tori from Manhattan, and Trevor Kempner. Uh, thank you very much for all thank your support. You, thank, you, thank you. We appreciate it. Um, and uh, yeah, that's the show for this week. Uh, thanks again for Melissa for joining the show. Thank you, Mike, as always. I, I appreciate you and everything you do. And uh, I'll talk you too, to you baby. again soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.